with a closer look at the news and events affecting Prince George. Welcome to After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM. Good morning. Welcome to After 9. I'm your host, Rez Krebs. And today we're here with uh, the pastor from Our Savior's Lutheran Church, Fleming Blishen. Welcome, Fleming. Thank you. Thanks for having me. And uh, yeah, we're talking about a few things uh, today. You know, I'm, I'm particularly inter- interested in how churches and faith groups in general, you know, pick up the slack in an era where we've seen uh, the state kind of abdicate their responsibility for social services. But I, first of all, I'd just love to hear um, what, what, how you came to become a pastor at uh, a Lutheran church and what's your, what's your path to that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, for myself personally, uh, I've sort of been a lifetime member of the church is what you might call it, sort of cradle to grave. And so uh, I never really thought about becoming a pastor when I was younger. I did metal work. Uh, I was going to be a bus driver, but that didn't work out. And uh, um, But at some point I was downtown uh, in Vancouver. I used to go down there sometimes, downtown east side, and, and someone, uh, I was interacting with them and they asked me, are you a pastor? And and I had never really thought about it before. So I, I went to my own pastor and said, you know, someone said this and it had been mentioned before. And what he said was, avoid it at all costs. <laughs> and if you come back to it, then maybe that's the thing. So I, I kind of took that advice and, and uh, went off and did a few more things. But uh, always had the sense that maybe that was it. And so in my early 20s, I decided to go back to school, went to Saskatchewan, did some schooling there and uh, actually did my internship in in Prince Rupert. would fly out to Haida Gwaii and drive into Smithers. So uh, that was sort of my journey to that. And then 10 years ago, I was called to this congregation in Prince George. I remember arriving here on a snowy November evening and wondering what I got myself into as we drove from the airport, which really is in the middle of nowhere. And uh, yeah, here I am 10 years later. Excellent. Um, I got some questions about, you know, the role of a pastor in, well, let's say in your life and also in you know other people's lives. I'm just looking at some stats here. Apparently only 23% of Canadians actually attend some kind of religious activity, uh, such as a church service at least once a month. So it's less than a quarter right now. Yeah. Um, you know, people might not even understand what the role of a pastor is. So what, what kind of things do you do other than obviously stand up on Sunday and and preach the word, <laughs> as my daughter would say. <laughs> preach the word. Uh, well, I, I think it's shifting. I, I think it's a good question because it's actually shifting at this point in time. I think there's a lot of confusion around what the role of the pastor is because there's an expectation from the past of what it was, and and that's changing. Uh, I had mentioned to you as we were talking before that uh, my background, some of my background is, is Danish. And in Denmark, they have a state church, and they're the priest is given, pastor is given an, an area to care for. It isn't just the congregation, but it's actually an area. And so that means that people that attend church are part of that area that the person cares for and the, everyone else around there. And so I think that is a bit of a shifting role. Uh, the church has become so insular. And this is my experience as I watched it. It's become all about itself and self-serving. Um, the, the rituals, uh, the way people talk about things, it's become about nourishing the individuals that are within the community. And anyone who knows anything about kind of systems and how human beings interact is once you start moving into yourself, uh, it can become quite toxic and, 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 and sick, actually. 
And because you have nothing, you have no reference points outside of yourself and it becomes very insular. And so in terms of the role, uh, the role for the pastor is shifting a lot from not necessarily, uh, caring for the congregation, but a bit of that in, in helping people see outside themselves and work within the community. Uh, I was just, you know, made aware of a pastor down in Salt Spring who was in a congregation and his whole desire was to engage with the community and started to do that. And the church said, no, we're not interested in that. And they got rid of him. So you can see how, um, how blind people become once they only see themselves. They can't see beyond that. So I think that's one of the role, the shifting roles for pastors and churches in general. That's really interesting. It's one of the things that I wanted to talk to you about because I think we met um, doing uh, some volunteer work uh, around the homelessness issue here in Prince George. Um, and it, your church seems particularly active in this in the community. Um, so what, I'd love to hear more about what kinds of things your church is involved in and what motivates that work. Yeah. Well, I think it's less about what we're involved in and more about why we're involved in it. Because over the time I've been in the church, it's not as if the church has not done anything outside itself. You know, St. Vincent de Paul or people have made quilts for Africa. Uh, but a lot of that has ended up being what we call charity. Uh, it, it's, 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 it's almost removed from the other human beings. It's a sort of an action that, that allows us in the church, as I've seen it often, to, to sort of check a box. This is what we're told to do, and we do this, and we move on. And, and for those who engage with it, it can be s- extremely meaningful, but other members of the congregation almost see it as sort of a, uh, sort of a badge of honor. Well, I'm a part of this organization that does this. But I'm not really involved. I'm not in the nitty-gritty uh, work that's happening. And so what happens to people, too, is they're not changed. We're not changed by just simply ideas. We're changed by interactions with other human beings. And so for me, the the work of the church is... <laughs> It's less about us and it's about the other and, and listening and hearing and being changed by them. You know, in the past, we've seen the church as being the place where people go to, to worship, to, to see God, to experience God. What I would say is that, again, the shifting role is that we're saying, wait a sec, no, actually God is out there doing all these things with all these people. Uh, the, and and we need to go out there and explore what God is up to in the world because we've been so much about ourselves that we've kind of lost all sense of purpose in a lot of ways. And so I think you can do two the same thing in two different ways. Um, so, you know, one of the focuses has been the LGBTQ plus community. Uh, we marched in the Pride Parade two years ago. We, um, if anybody has seen that rainbow heart on Aspika, that glowing heart, that's outside our church. Uh, we did a mural last summer, uh, which was a mural based on seven different uh, youth and their kind of identity and their connection with spirituality. And so we had this mural. We got a grant for $10,000 from the wider church. So there's support from the wider church. Um, and so that's been one of our main ministry areas. Uh, we run two uh, queer out support groups for ages 14 to 20 and ages 21 and up. And these are spaces for uh, folks who often find themselves isolated in the community to come and, and be a part of something and find a, a voice, which is 
which is really weird that it's happening in a church because the church has been the one who has basically created the situation for the LGBTQ plus community. And so um, that's sort of some of the focus for our, for our ministry uh, at this point in time. And what it's doing is it's changing us. And that's beautiful. I love that. I love how the interaction with the other person changes us as human beings. And I see that as God's work in the world. It's very, it's, I, I'm, I'm loving listening to this, um, how you're analyzing the church and how people are kind of coming to the church. It seems to follow, you know, these broader social trends around individualism. I mean, we can talk about, you know, big words like neoliberalism mm-hmm. and how the, you know, the, the Reagan Thatcher era kind of really started to, to pick apart those the 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 remnants of kind of big institutions mm-hmm. you know Thatcher famously said there's what what's there's no society there's the family and there's the individual right um so i want to get a little more into this you know the work that is done at the church there's an interesting kind of line there that you're talking about with um the individual and the community uh you know you're talking about the importance of being a part of something, but how that actually also changes the individual. Um, are there broader goals to that, or is it about the spiritual experience? For instance, you know, let's not talk about charity. Let's talk about you know doing something in your community, like you know, say it's um, uh, Habitat for Humanity, getting together and building a house for your neighbor. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if if it's a church that's motivating that, is is there is there something? beautiful about the act itself or is it kind of for you is it about the spiritual experience well i think it's just a it's a lived experience in all sorts of ways yeah there's a spiritual component but that but that isn't everybody's experience in building a habitat for humanity home some people that's them being able to use their hands and and the skills that they have to do that and i think that's part of the breaking down of the barriers as the church is seeing as this kind of the actions are primarily spiritually based, but that's not integrating the full human being. Uh, we're ignoring all the different aspects of a person. And, and I think it's like a full integration of the person. And so, you know, what we talk about in, in those who have come to the groups, the queer groups, for example, is this is not a, it's not a religious space in a sense that you don't have to believe anything. And frankly, you could believe whatever you wanted. There's people there that are, that practice Wicca or Buddhists. Uh, so there's, there's like a spiritual component and there's an openness to that spirituality, I think is part of the important part. It's not so much that it's about spirituality, but it's an openness to it. So for some people, that's important. They need to access a spiritual space. And so the church can, can provide some of that, uh, you know, back onto the individualism and the, um, the community piece. I think again, it's, it's a mix, right? Like we have, uh, the individualism that drives us towards sort of greed and selfishness. And we have individualism that shows us the beauty of the person. And, and the church often has been almost too community oriented. And I want to say that in the negative sense of like the greater good, this sense of like, we do this and it's for us all. And we ignore the individual people who are being harmed by the things that we are doing. And so I think we're trying to balance that out is that in the beauty of the person who comes with a a spirituality that's Buddhist and maybe trans and has had a background and 
and that is a part of so we're not looking at changing people into something else that just happens people just change we don't need to try and be changing people what we need to be doing is actually giving a space where they can actually just come as themselves and then start doing that work with other people and see where that leads. The church has been all about changing people. And that is not what it needs to be about. That just, yeah, I don't know what kind of swear words I can say. But anyway, I won't say any. <laughs> no, CRTC would prefer you don't say yeah, any swear so words. so I won't. <laughs> um, so that's a, this is super interesting in terms of the kind of the role that the, um, the, uh, the church, you know, is, is taking in kind of providing space for 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 your congregation or people even outside your congregation to come but you know i mentioned that we met doing kind of some volunteer work in in the kind of homeless around the homelessness issue here in prince george and i remember uh hearing that your church had actually for easter sunday had gone down and done kind of a pancake breakfast and you know did this kind of service work service oriented work um you know in this setting the situation we find ourselves in where you know the the tax base of the state has been generally eroded over the last 40 years no matter what pierre polyev says um uh, and there are fewer and fewer programs f- less infrastructure being built for social programs for those who are the, at the very bottom of the of the social hierarchy um where does the church fit into that is the church is it your do you feel like it's your responsibility as a leader of um, a religious institution to pick up that slack? Is there, is there a, a broader social mission here? I'd love to hear more about how you think that fits into kind of like the, the wider society. Yeah, I mean, as, as sort of a, a baseline, it's, it's about love. So it's about caring for the neighbor. Uh, and how that fits into the wider world is it could look like anything. And so if there is a need, if we see that people are vulnerable especially and are being uh, abused, then, then the motivation, that's where a lot of the motivation comes from. And also the church as part of society. You know, it's not an it's it's not an entity unto itself, although it has thought it was, because it could behave like that. So I think there is a sense of public uh, public good, the need to uh, listen to the community at large and see where we can fit ourselves in. And so, the Easter breakfast was really an attempt to uh, well, we didn't have an Easter service; we canceled our Easter service. And we didn't cancel. We just said, we're not going to sit inside the church and do this. We are going to go out into the down in Moxon Flats. Uh, it was beautiful. We talked to the residents there. They, they set up the tables. They raked a spot for us. Uh, we had some drumming. Uh, we had uh, one lady become a member of the church. And it was just this moment of integration between who the church is and who the community is. And so I think that's part of it. Part of the motivation is to is to bring this group of people in the church outside of themselves. Uh, we haven't been the Lutheran Church hasn't been really civically minded like some other churches. It's an it's it was primarily a German immigrant church, and so people came from Germany and they were very uh, they were very sort of away from others. They they were worried. They didn't make a lot of noise when they came over here. And so it's always taken on a stance of less political, and, and which has unfortunately led to less action. And so I think we're starting to shift that a bit and say, well, wait a sec, what is, 
how can we make a difference within the community at large? And so, you know, Moccasin Flats is one piece, um, you know, working with the community on the Syrian refugee piece and having people from the community work with us to do that has been really uh, beneficial. And now with the LGBTQ plus community, seeing like how does that fit into the wider space? That's really, I, I love the work you're doing. It makes me want to come join your church. Uh, we're just going to take a short break and we'll be back with Pastor Fleming Blishen after this. Community Radio CFISFM needs your support. While our station is run predominantly by volunteers, money is always needed to keep the monthly bills paid as well as for the production of new local programming. Memberships, donations, corporate sponsorships, and advertisers all help to keep your local independent broadcaster functioning. For more information on how you can contribute to this vital part of the Prince George Media Mix, visit our website at cfisfm.ca or give us a call at 250-563-2347. Spirit of the North Healthcare Foundation invites you to pick your passion May 5th for Spirit Day, a 12-hour radiothon on Rewind Radio and the River from 7 to 7. Take part and help raise funds for pediatrics, cardiac care, respiratory care, cancer care, seniors' health and wellness, mental health and wellness, and our area of greatest need. Donate today online at spiritofthenorth.ca or call the Foundation office. Spirit Day, May 5th, in support of Spirit of the North Healthcare Foundation. Feeling snacky? Pop by either Boston Pizza location for happy hour every day from 3 to 8. Boston Pizza has amazing drink features, friendly staff, and tons of options no matter what you're craving. If you want to stay home, Boston Pizza has you covered with dynamite online bundle deals for your takeout or delivery needs. Give them a shout or order online at bostonpizza.com to place your order today. Stay safe and thank you for your continued support of Boston Pizza. Forecast from Environment Canada, a mix of sun and cloud today, a 40% chance of showers this afternoon, with wind from the east at 20 and the risk of a thunderstorm, hitting for a high of 12. Partly cloudy tonight, a 40% chance of showers this evening, with east winds becoming light and a low of 2. For Saturday, cloudy, becoming a mix of sun and cloud in the afternoon, with a high of 13. You're listening to After 9 on Prince George's Community Station, 93.1 CFIS-FM. We're here today with uh, Pastor Fleming Blishen from Our Savior's Lutheran Church. Um, we're talking about the role of the church and uh, and kind of how it relates to civic institutions. And we were just talking during the break. So apparently the Lutheran Church, while it didn't run any residential schools, your opinion is that there is still some responsibility to be taken by the Lutheran Church in general for reconciliation. Is that correct? Oh, 100%. And, and what does that look like? Well, it looks like... Uh, how, well, maybe I can just say how it's looked. Oh, maybe I can say how it's looked. You know, recently we had a, a uh, online series over Zoom on uh, the doctrine of discovery, which was a, a doctrine put out by the church. And I'll say the church, you know, usually we say the Catholic church, but the church is the church. <laughs> we, we say that we are all a part of each other, actually, when we confess different things. And so that means we are all culpable in all in, in the actions that are happening. But this doctrine of discovery was basically saying that uh, First Nations people were not really human beings, and this land was not uh, was not really inhabited. Therefore, because there were no people here, and so we we talked about what is this doctrine and its impact five hundred years later. So so learning about how the church has been involved, and that's a journey that we're still kind of trying to find our way through. It's it's complicated and. Uh, but it takes, again, us stepping outside ourselves into vulnerable spaces. 
spaces of what I would call spaces of faith, where we're not in charge, where we're being hosted. So I think one reconciliation piece is, even for people who are thinking about it, there's the Monday night drumming group at the hospital. If you've ever thought about reconciliation, go to that. First Nations people are constantly inviting us into spaces and instead of us being the host and being in charge of how it's happening, we are the ones being hosted. And that's tough, going to, to someone's house where you don't know what's going to happen and what it looks like. But that act of vulnerability shows that there is potential for new relationship. I'm going to mention one more thing because I think this is really critical in terms of reconciliation. Uh, the mural that we have out front our place, the LGBTQ plus mural, one of our members brought a gentleman, uh, Ellie Klausner is, is, uh, Ali. Um, he's, he's a member of this community and, and he's Jewish. And he had had an issue with the Lutheran Church because it was German and it was a part of the Holocaust. And so when he was brought to see this mural, that wasn't necessarily speaking directly to him, but he saw the vulnerability in it and the willingness to put the church to put itself out there in the community. He said that, he felt like a hundred years of hate melted away for him. All of his experience, some of his experience of like being a first generation Holocaust survivor and seeing that vulnerability just healed that. That is unbelievable. And so I believe that our vulnerability in reconciliation with First Nations, us going into that space can do that kind of work. So I do invite people to go to the hospital. They usually have it at 6 o'clock, and anyone is welcome to go and see that and be part. That's very powerful. Um, and, of course, there's much more meaningful things that reconciliation requires of the society mm-hmm. in general, but I'm, I'm glad to hear that the church is doing something meaningful in its own way. Um, I did want to just finish off our discussion here talking a little bit about these uh, calls this week from both the City Hall and the Chamber of Commerce to set up community meetings, and I think a leadership table is what the Chamber of Commerce has been calling for, um, to deal with, you know, quote, issues downtown. And this is this usually means, you know, perceptions of increasing crime. It means litter. And frankly, it means, um, you know, the, the homeless population who, who have a, a increased, um, visibility here. Uh, do you think that members of the faith community should be involved in this leadership table? And, and what would you bring to the table if you were involved? Mm-hmm. This is a tough question. <laughs> it depends on what motivations people come with, I think, from the faith community. Uh, I think there needs to be an openness again to, uh, Sometimes I think the faith community needs to be a part of things, but not do so much talking. It needs to listen more than anything and, and be changed by it. So I think in that way, it needs to be a part of it to, to hear, to hear what's happening and be changed. In terms of what the church brings, I took a social innovation course at Simon Fraser University. It was a diploma, actually. I went down to Vancouver to the, to their, their campus downtown. And what I experienced there was was that amidst all these people, the people that were from the financial institutions, people from nonprofits, people from someone from BC Hydro, all of these pieces, that in their desire to have change in the system, uh, what I saw that for me was linking up with the church's faith component. So we're talking about change here, 
Right? We're talking about how things change and what needs to be changed and how that happens. And I believe the church brings a component of faith. In, in the social innovation sphere, there's a theory called Theory U. And that theory supposes that change happens when we put aside our conceived ideas or we're willing to put them aside for a moment. We're willing to listen. And then at the bottom is what's called presencing. And it's this moment where we, we don't really know what the answer is. We're not sure. But we have to sit in that space and not know what it's going to be in order for something to, to come out of that. For myself, I would say that that's kind of inspiration, the Holy Spirit. Others might call it energy. How does that happen? How does change happen? And so I think the church brings a perspective on that. Uh, the ability to be in spaces where we just don't know what's going to happen next where we're unsure and we're sitting and you've, you've been to those meetings where everybody's saying stuff and we're trying to figure something out and suddenly, what's next? We don't know. How do we sit in that? How are we in that? So I think that's one thing that the church brings into that space. But I think the church is also learning what it can bring in and reevaluating that because what it brought before was we're going to convert you and that's just totally useless. It doesn't have anything to offer. So I think we're exploring that as well. That's very interesting. I, I would characterize that maybe as as becoming comfortable with discomfort. Um, and that's a that's a real tough one for people. Um, even even sitting in sitting with some silence can mm-hmm. be very difficult when and and I think that, you know, a leadership table presupposes that leaders are going to join us there and our leaders are mostly um, elected and this is a municipal uh, election year. I'm not so sure we're going to get people sitting with discomfort at this leadership table. Uh, you know, I, I don't want to presuppose anything of it. I think it's a great idea as long as it includes enough of the community as well. But um, I, I do commend you for your uh, for what you might bring, if that's possible. Um, I guess the last the last thing before we break that I'd like to just uh, bring you back to is you know what do you see the city where the city's going um you know i've been we've been talking a little like a lot about the relationship between you know the the civic institutions and the church institutions what's your vision for for prince george in the next 10 years how what can we do to become you know to be our best city Mm. Well, I mean, if we just take Moccasin Flats as an example, perhaps, is, is sort of a good example of what can be. Uh, I think it's willing to to do the thing that uh, maybe we're afraid to do. And, I mean, of course, that can look different in different spaces. Um, but I think part of it is opening, the, opening ourselves up to... Um, ways of being that haven't existed before and that's tough for us you know like if you're getting elected you're going to want to stay with the thing that you know so my hope is is that the city can continue to be a space of of care and love for the vulnerable populations especially uh can be a space where um, those who come from the outside can have a sense of becoming a part of and i think it does a good job of that actually in some ways access to community events and the work that people do i think is great I think there's a lot of potential in Prince George, and I really do see a lot of people really caring deeply about what's happening, just going down and cleaning up. That, that is, that's, that's a beautiful thing. And so I think 
I think nurturing the good things that are already happening in terms of larger policy issues and that, I, I don't have a lot to say about that. <laughs> Right on. Well, thanks very much for coming in, Pastor Blishen. Uh, and uh, that's your that's our interview for today. And we'll be back with our panel show. The Prince George Council of Seniors is looking for volunteers to handle the front desk at the Resource Center at 721 Victoria Street. Volunteers are asked to provide one shift of three to four hours each week to answer the telephone and greet people at the front desk. Volunteers must be double vaccinated for COVID, have a friendly manner, good communication skills, and pass a criminal record check. For more information, drop by 721 Victoria Street or email info.pgcos at gmail.com. The climb for cancer is getting back to its roots. The annual Climb Up the Cut Banks is returning to a one-day event this year with teams making the ascent May 29th in support of Cordoban Lodge. Registration will be opening soon. Returning and new participants are asked to save the date and follow the Climb for Cancer on Facebook or Instagram to watch for updates. Once again, this year's event will include a barbecue and live music. The 7th Annual Climb for Cancer, May 29th on the Nechaco Cut Banks. Join Two Rivers Gallery for their next Sunday Gallery Tour, May 8th. The May Tour will have a closer look at The Tree Planters, an exhibition exploring community, forest conservation, and more. Led by staff and knowledgeable learning and engagement volunteers, Two Rivers Gallery in-depth tours take place the second Sunday of each month. Don't miss the next Gallery Tour featuring The Tree Planters, Sunday, May 8th from 1 to 2 at Two Rivers Gallery, where creativity flows in the Canada Games Plaza. Can you hear that? the SOS to the world from the people of Ukraine. And you've never wanted to help more, yet you've never felt more helpless. Here's what you can do. Give to the Ukraine Humanitarian Crisis Appeal. The Red Cross is on the ground to make sure your donation supplies food, water, shelter, and other urgent support. Show everyone affected by the Ukraine conflict that you hear them, loud and clear. Go to redcross.ca. Keeping you up to date on current news and events in and around Prince George. This is After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM. Welcome back to After 9. I'm your host, Rez Krebs. And, of course, as every uh, Friday, we're here with our political panel. We've got Herb, Eric, Peter, and Art. Unfortunately, Trudy is unavailable today. Um, I did. wanted to talk about um, this this, all-party committee calling on BC to replace the RCMP with a provincial police force. Super interesting. Um, I've heard a lot of things in the past about the importance of local policing and becoming more local. And, you know, I guess the RCMP is the opposite of that. They they really take their uh, their main directive from Ottawa. Um, Herb, what do you think? Is this actually a, a, something that we could be implementing in order to improve some of the issues that we have with police in this province? I don't think so. I think um, uh, this is a classic case of be careful what you wish for. Uh, If you go back um, to the 1990s, 1995, with the Oka crisis and the Ipperwash crisis, uh, those were both um, uh, pretty uh, pretty incredible confrontations between provincial police forces and uh, Native groups, both in Quebec and Ontario. And um, in one case, uh, in Epperwash, uh, the uh, then uh, premier at the time, Mike Harris, was uh, reputed to said, I want the effing Indians out of the park. And uh, that um, led to uh, Dudley George being shot to death. So, yeah, I don't think a provincial police force may, may be the answer that people are looking for. 
I think that um, uh, I think all police forces have probably come a long way since 1990 and 1995. Um, I think that uh, we have. It's probably a better idea to work on what we have and um, uh, and and try and improve incrementally rather than throw the baby out with the bathwater. And 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 finally, I just sort of like to say just to say that. Um, in British Columbia, we already have a sort of a problem with, uh, well, you can say with, with oligarchs or with uh, political um, uh, power being concentrated. And um, uh, RCMP is, uh, is a nice uh, standoff um, uh, power that uh, can be called upon by the provincial government. And it's probably better that we have something that is not local. And that's an interesting point with the Aquilinis and the Pattisons of the world kind of really, you know, politically, certainly pulling a lot of strings. Um, I, I'm going to throw this in there. You know, Northern Ireland, uh, coming out of their troubles there, did exactly this. They dissolved their police force and and rehired entirely, and apparently there's been success. Eric, do you think that that's exactly what we need to do, or do you agree with Herb that uh, we should be reforming the RCMP? Well, yeah, I may have to call for some sort of a reform for the RCMP. I don't know what... You know the uh, the real problem is with the RCMP uh, policing, other than the way the contracts are set up, who's responsible for it, how much you pay for it. You know, like for Prince George, we pay I think something like eighty or ninety percent of the policing costs in Prince George. We got to buy, pay for that uh, thirty-eight million dollar police station. We got huge. I think it's twenty-six or thirty million dollars a year for policing in Prince George. We contract that through the provincial government, and they get the contractor to subcontract it through the feds. I'm not sure how it works. Now, we're supposed to have, and we do have say over what they do in the municipality. And we can all, we have a liaison officer between the city and the RCMP, and we can influence them into what areas we want them to spend our dollars, so to speak. But they also work for the, the, uh, the RCMP, and they're just on a contract. And they take their marching orders. They're a paramilitary group overall, I think. And they take their uh, their uh, instructions from, in the end of the day, from the federal government. But the other side of that is that we had a provincial government, uh, or a provincial police force in Prince, in uh, BC for over a hundred years. I think they disbanded it in 1950. And one of the major problems that I can doing a little bit of reading before and, and through just uh, information is that they disbanded it because it was basically corrupt and they're having all kinds of problems with it. So coming up with a new force doesn't necessarily solve the problems of a police force. I think we need more local uh, people involved. I think the police have to be more responsible dealing with uh, municipalities and, and looking after their concerns and I don't know what else we can do. I mean, uh, the RCMP are well-trained. There's no doubt about that, and there's lots of them, and uh, we can get as many as we want to pay for. So I don't know why we want to go down this other road. Hmm. It's interesting. I mean, I, I just want to throw in, you know, one of the issues that was brought up by the committee is the policy of moving officers every, it's, it's two or three years, uh, in a lot of rural communities and First Nations communities say, you know, we just got this relationship with this police officer and then they had to move. Um, but that's also actually to, uh, you know, a policy measure intended to reduce corruption or, you know, reduce those kinds of issues that you mentioned with the earlier provincial police force. Art, what do you think? You think that we should be uh, 
reforming this body that we already have, or you think we should be disbanding it and creating something new? Well, I can't see really any reason for a provincial police force or, or even a municipal one for here in Prince George. We're much too small for that, of course. But uh, really, what's the difference? They're both going to enforce the laws. That's what the police do. Uh, are they suggesting that the uh, provincial police force will enforce the laws better or, or the RCMP not enforcing the laws well enough? You know, this all ties down in with uh, the problems with the downtown and uh, police get a lot of criticism for that and well that's not really going to change either so really what do you th- do they think is is going to be the difference i uh, it, it I, I can't understand why they want it it, it makes no sense to me hmm. uh peter you've got last word on this is what's your what's your thinking here should we have a provincial police force that takes its orders from victoria or we keep we keep taking our orders from ottawa well i like the idea of the provincial police force uh, much better there's been a lot of criticism and a lot of problems with RCMP in in the province. You know, like there's the whole question of racism against Indigenous people, sexism, and, and unnecessary shootings. You know, like where where somebody calls in, a relative calls in that one of their where, where their relative uh, has a psychological problem, and uh, and what what happens is that uh, the, the the people who come out, the police who come out, and all this. Uh, don't have the mental health training or they don't have mental health personnel. So one of the recommendations in the report is to actually change that situation and uh, uh, try to eliminate these things. But there's a a whole number of problems. Like It's a fragmented system. There's a lack of transparency and accountability. And um, what uh, what I think is significant is that this is an all-party committee you know, they looked at the problems um, that exist, and there's a whole number of the, the problems. They looked at it, and they came, and they came to a, which is very unusual for VC, you know, where you have an all-party committee agreeing on the, on the report. And um, anyway, I think the report puts forth some uh, uh, useful uh, reforms. And furthermore, I don't think that the RCMP as a federal force is structurally. Uh, flexible enough to, to, to deal with this stuff. I think that's part of, part of the reaction that's taking place, is that uh, there's a sense that uh, it's, it's not uh, flexible enough and uh, uh, in, a, in a situation enough to uh, make it so that um, it, it makes a difference. All right. Uh, well, we got to take a break, but after this, we'll be talking a little more about the downtown issues that uh, are brought up. Go beyond the basics and next-level courses and see the results pay off and excel with CNC's Making Data Presentable Online Bootcamp. In this two-evening instructor-led course, you will learn everything to know in Excel to present data with a professional competitive advantage. Registration and full details are available through continuing education at CNC. Microsoft 365 Excel Making Data Presentable Online Bootcamp, May 18th and 19th from 6 to 9.30. Registration deadline is May 11th. Spirit of the North Healthcare Foundation invites you to pick your passion May 5th for Spirit Day, a 12-hour radiothon on Rewind Radio and the River from 7 to 7. Take part and help raise funds for pediatrics, cardiac care, respiratory care, cancer care, seniors' health and wellness, mental health and wellness, and our area of greatest need. Donate today online at spiritofthenorth.ca or call the Foundation office. Spirit Day, May 5th, in support of Spirit of the North Healthcare Foundation. Business 
Businesses in the electoral areas of the regional district of Fraser Fort George interested in giving their buildings a facelift can now apply for a one-time grant. Eligible businesses can receive a 50% reimbursement for up to $5,000 to complete exterior improvements such as building facades, signage, murals, architectural features, siding, lighting, and awnings. More information on the regional district's facade improvement grant is available at rdffg.bc.ca. The application deadline is May 31st. Forecast from Environment Canada, a mix of sun and cloud today, a 40% chance of showers this afternoon, with wind from the east at 20 and the risk of a thunderstorm, hitting for a high of 12. Partly cloudy tonight, a 40% chance of showers this evening, with east winds becoming light and a low of 2. For Saturday, cloudy, becoming a mix of sun and cloud in the afternoon, with a high of 13. It's after 9 on Prince George's Community Station, 93.1 CFIS-FM. So this week we had what I'm calling dueling calls for meetings from the Prince George, from four members of the Prince George City Council and from the CEO of the Chamber of Commerce. Um, I believe that the City Council called for a community meeting and the Chamber of Commerce had a more specific request for a leadership table to be set up. Um, and in his comments about the, uh, about his press release, Todd Corrigal also kind of seemed to call out the mayor a little bit. Um, you know, I got, I've got questions for the panel about who should be on such a table, what should be the terms of reference, what should they be looking at, um, and is this actually something that the councillors and the Chamber of Commerce actually want to put in place, or do you think it's actually just election year silliness? Maybe we'll start with Art. Well, I don't think it's election year silliness. I think you're getting a little desperate. Uh, you have... Um a growing problem of uh, the homelessness and the accompanying uh, uh, criminal activity, the, the break-ins, the damage, and then there's these arsons that have been going on downtown, and it's, it's looking pretty bad, and uh, they want to do something about it. And I, unfortunately, I don't think they can do anything about it uh, because uh, the solution has to be fairly harsh, and uh, there's too many... Um, what do you call them, Good do-gooders or empathetic people who uh, don't really realize uh, that this harshness is necessary to solve the problem. Uh, they seem to think that better help them, and which is all a wonderful idea, but the more you cater to them, the more you help them, the more there are going to be. Anything you subsidize, you get more of, and uh, that seems to be the only acceptable uh, way forward now. And uh, people are, are getting a little bit uh, desperate to try and you know, because this wasn't here a few years ago. The downtown has deteriorated considerably over the last decade or so, and it's only going to get worse And uh, because uh, nobody is willing to take the harsh measures that will solve it. And I can understand why. Eric, what do you think? You think that the uh, this this leadership table would would have the cojones to take these harsh measures that R is talking about, or might they have a different approach? I don't think they'll they'll do anything because firstly they don't have any power, and uh, they're going to sit around and discuss different things that they already sat around and discussed before. I'm sure that you know the in the coffee shops and the chamber of commerce and some of these places uh, it's a topic of discussion all the time. So. But, you know, I always hire back to the old uh, uh, zebra. It was a horse designed by a committee, you know. So 
there was a few problems they had. There were stripes and that type of thing, but that's what they came up with. And the same thing here. They had the, they'll, they'll come up with some pie-in-the-sky thing. I think it's politicking. The timing is kind of strange. I think the councils that are coming up and asking for this. <clears throat> I don't think we should overlook the fact we got eight councillors and a mayor. We got uh, probably over a thousand city staff. We got 134 police. We got God knows how many people on Northern Health. We've been working on these problems for years. We're paying huge salaries to solve these problems. We don't need more people. We need people who are on a payroll to start earning their money and coming up with really good ways of solving this problem. And I think those. Billings on First Avenue is part of it, and the first one's done on the west side, and they're going to start on the one on the east side, 120 units. But then I see something where they've leased the land in the middle to uh, the RV guy for three years with an option to renew. So I don't know what's going on there. All, all of a sudden, uh, that uh, RV place is not moving out of that territory. Are we changing the model that we had two years ago? I don't know. Herb, what's your thoughts? Is this politicking, or are we going to actually get some action out of this uh, proposed committee? Uh, I think this is politicking. Um, uh, first of all, just to address something that Art said, uh, the, um, the arsons downtown, uh, at least one of them, uh, seems to have been a criminal in nature. Uh, police are looking for a blue pickup truck and a guy with uh, five gallons of gasoline. So it didn't really sound like a homeless person did that one. Um, secondly, uh, you know we're 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 now re-examining uh, Moccasin Flats again this, this summer, and we still don't have housing for people. Uh, you know, here, here's an interesting statistic: in, in Vietnam, 34 percent of all American servicemen used heroin. When they returned to the U.S., uh, only one percent uh, remained addicted. So. You know, it, it seems to me that, uh, you know, people are responding to uh, a highly stressed and uh, difficult life uh, by turning to drugs. And what we have in place uh, is theoretically good, uh, you know, harm reduction, but you've, you've got to also uh, start attacking the root causes. And one of them, uh, living on the streets, is uh, not stress-free, that's for sure. And if we can at least get in some, we have to provide these people with some sort of housing. Uh, it doesn't have to be uh, really expensive. They seem to be quite happy even with tents. So I'm sure we can do better than that. Um, the number of, of homeless people in Prince George, I believe, um, more than six months is something like five per thousand, uh, which is not its not an overwhelming burden, burden for society to uh, to be able to treat and help that number of people. So let's, let's uh, before harsh measures are taken, let's try and actually get these people into some housing and, um, and, and do some harm reduction in terms of government-supplied uh, uh, drugs rather than leaving these people to the sharks that are the, uh, the drug dealers out there. All right. Uh, Peter, I think you've got last word on this. Do you think that we have an opportunity here to get the leadership together and, and start thinking about some more um, creative solutions? I think there's a possibility there, but I think uh, the chamber, you know, the committee composition that it's calling about calling for, right, it, it's, uh, you know, it has the RCMP, uh, Fire Services, Northern Health, Chamber of Commerce, NDP, or, or MPs and MLAs, and Clay Lake, First Nation. But who it leaves out? 
are the, the, the existing agencies that already deal with homelessness, like Community Partners Addressing Homelessness and other agencies downtown. They're, they're not even included there. Secondly, as Eric talked about, you know, with the First Avenue, the BC Housing, BC Housing is, is left out from this. You know, so uh, furthermore, I th- who also is left out are individuals who are homeless. might be interesting to hear what some of them have to say, or individuals who are in addiction recovery. Uh, on a committee like this, because we need new ideas. The old ideas don't don't work. I think that there's a possibility that we could uh, d- develop some new ideas uh, without preconceived ideas. You know, like the uh, uh, get the people get people together and have some discussion, a serious discussion, and uh, and and work with some ideas, but involve everyone in this whole thing. It's like you know, we need, you know, the, 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 certainly the homeless people deserve better, but the business people downtown deserve better, and the community as a whole deserves better. And so we need uh, mechanisms and, and discussion that looks for new ideas that can do that. All right, well, we've got to take a break, and uh, when we come back, we'll talk a little more about the Ukraine. The current display in the Studio 2880 feature gallery is Legacies Revisited from Betty Kovacic. Legacies Revisited is multimedia artworks telling historical stories of inspiring people overcoming hardship and discrimination. Check out the display today or find out more about Legacies Revisited through the Studio News page at studio2880.com. Legacies Revisited by Betty Kovacic on through Saturday in the feature gallery at Studio 2880. Claim what's yours. Join the more than 130,000 others who attended a federal Indian day school and have applied for compensation. July 13, 2022 is your last day to submit a claim. It's free and it's confidential. For information and legal support, visit IndianDaySchools.com or call 1-844-844. 539-3815. The Ministry of Children and Family Development is engaging in child and family services legislation to enable prevention supports to keep children in their families and connected to their communities and culture. The Ministry is also exploring immediate legislative amendments to enable First Nations exercising authority for child and family services through a coordination agreement. Visit engage.gov.bc.ca slash legislation for more on the Child Family and Community Service Act reform planned over the next 24 months. Claim what's yours. Join the more than 130,000 others who attended a federal Indian day school and have applied for compensation. July 13, 2022 is your last day to submit a claim. It's free and it's confidential. For information and legal support, visit Indian Day Schools dot com or call one eight four four five three nine three eight one five. Featuring the people who make things happen in Prince George, you're listening to After Nine on ninety three point one CFIS FM. So if you've been paying attention to the Ukraine, it's been really interesting how Russia is starting to try to wield more economic force. Um, requiring some of the more Eastern European countries to pay for their gas in rubles. When Poland and Bulgaria missed the deadline, they got their gas cut off. Um, is this, this is a huge deal for me. I, I just see the 20th century, you know, kind of, uh, consensus on, on free trade and, and international institutions 
crumbling before our eyes. Um, I'm going to go with uh, Eric first this time. Eric, like, is there a way back from this, or are we just going to have to try to like cut Russia off from the rest of the world? I don't, I don't, I don't know what's what the what the way forward here is. Eric, are you there? Is anyone there, Herb? No, we seem to have lost our entire panel. No, no, there no, we go. No. All right, Eric, you go right ahead. <laughs> okay, can you hear me now? Yep. All good. Yeah, no, it's, uh, you know, you get into these situations and they start at, you know, the low end and then they expand and they get out of control and then you get really, really nervous that somebody's going to do something really foolish. And, and I have to tell us, you know, in my opinion, that we don't have our best people usually running these countries times that these things happen. In fact, I can think of a number of people that are in different countries around the world, including maybe our own to some degree, that, you know, we have to question whether they should even be there. And these are the people we're relying on to handle these problems. So that's spooky. You know, that's scary. But uh, it starts off with politics, you know, and the old saying, uh, I don't know if it's American or whatever, but there's no point being a superpower if you don't use your superpowers. These guys are muscle flexors. They're all showing how tough they are and what they can do. But when they go into these countries, they have a plan to dominate them, take them over, take, uh, you know, their uh, resources or whatever. And uh, This is all part of it. Now, how do you back away? I don't know. Uh, Russia, I mean, there's enough natural gas in the world that... By this time next year, those countries could get their natural gas from someplace other than Russia. That's going to have, have a huge economic effect on Russia, and there'll be other economic effects. And that's the ones that we see out there with, you know, uh, bombs going off and things like that. But the other thing is just the silent ones where people come into places like Canada, buy up half the country and go home, and we don't even know what happened. So we got serious problems all over the world. Very uh, optimistic there, Eric. Uh, <laughs> Peter, Peter, you've you got an interesting perspective on, on this conflict. Uh, what do you think is the way forward for European countries who still do rely on, on Russian natural gas? you think they're going to start paying in rubles? Uh, I think so. I think you're going to see cracks in the, in the uh, opposition to uh, you know, the, in getting the gas from Russia. So, you know, but I, you know, the, looking at the, you know, the question of the multilateral institutions, I, yeah, I believe that they're falling apart. Like, uh, the irony is that they were put in place largely by the uh, U.S., you know, pushing for them, like the multilateral institutions like IMF and the free trade agreements and so on. And, and uh, they're put in place by the U.S., but who's destroying them the most is, is the U.S. You know, we look at, for example, the, you know, pulling out of the Iran nuclear deal, you know, the uh, you, you, Trump uh, pulling out of the Trans-Pacific uh, trade deal, the NAFTA renegotiations, and so on and so forth. And, and then you have uh, the, the U.S. putting all kinds of sanctions, embargoes, and tariffs against dozens of, literally dozens of countries. And even to the point now they're talking about seizing these Russian oligarchs' property. They don't realize that there's another side to this coin. Like, if they start seizing the Russians' uh, property... What about uh, the seizing the, the possibility that countries will seize Canadian oligarchs or American oligarchs? You know, like what you end up with is a law of the jungle in this situation. And what's happening is that parallel structures are actually being built by China, India, 
uh, Russia, Iran, whatever, right? Like through the Shanghai Cooperation Organization, the Eurasian Union, the the BRICS, uh, Brazil, Russia, India, China, South Africa. You know, like so. What's happening? For every action, is a reaction, and so what's happening is that. I don't think all multilateral institutions are dead. I think there's going to be new ones put in place, but they're going to they're going to be in a parallel parallel structures to uh, the existing thing that exists. So, Art, what do you think? There, the Peter raises some interesting points about the kind of proliferation of multilateral structures. Um, is this a good thing, or are we now competing against uh, multilateral structures that are put in place by authoritarian regimes? Oh. There's a lot of history involved in it, too. I mean, you look at the former Soviet satellite uh, countries like uh, Bulgaria and um, Poland. Uh, they naturally, basically, I think, were told to take their gas from Russia at that time. Uh, they wanted a market, and they had a captive market for their gas. And so that's where it has come from for a long time. However, uh, when you have... Uh, places in Western Europe who basically shut off their own uh, extraction industries and started buying gas from Russia uh, for the foolish reason that they're trying to convert to uh, renewables, but they didn't have anything to replace the fossil fuels, so they still needed fossil fuels. So instead of producing their own, they went and got Russian gas. Well, that they should have seen the warning signals on that a long time ago. I recall seeing a video of Trump warning some speech, I don't know, UN, wherever. He was warning Germany against uh, getting all their uh, gas from Russia. It was a dangerous thing, and the German delegation were laughing at him. Well, I don't think they're laughing now. Uh, Germany is paying in rubles. I mean, Poland didn't, but and uh, from what I see in the one article, Poland says it's okay, we can buy gas from Germany. Well, Germany's just rooting it. You know, they're still basically paying in rubles if they're buying it from Germany. Uh, Russia has them over a barrel. Uh, Western Europe, the European nations are basically financing the war against Ukraine. And they have just been a little bit ridiculous. I mean, uh, England itself, one gas field has enough gas to supply all their needs for 50 years, but they're not taking it. They're bringing in hmm. foreign gas from Russia. You know, Thanks, people got to people got to start that. thinking a little bit more clearly and, and realize that. We are, we're Art. Yeah, no we got Thanks, Art. Sorry, Herb. And that's your show for After Nine. Thanks, everyone, and have a great weekend. After Nine is a daily presentation of CFIS FM. After Nine is produced by Alan Wishart, Echo Wiley, Trudy Clausen, and Rez Krebs. Executive producer is Reg Fair with technical assistance from Stephen Smith. Additional contributors include CBC News and the National Campus and Community Radio Association. Theme music is by The Ebbs. For a rebroadcast of today's program, check out the podcast link at cfisfm.ca. To provide feedback or suggestions for the show, please email cfisfm at yahoo.ca. You're listening to CFIS-FM Prince George, a not-for-profit community radio station 